0: The Youthscape Podcast. Welcome to a very, I would say special, but that's not the word I'm really reaching for, a different edition of the Youthscape Podcast with me, Martin Saunders, and for the first time ever, no Rachel Gardner. Because in the way that sometimes you listen to your favourite radio programme or podcast and you realise that they've, the actual, the, the person you really like, and normally tune in for uh, has gone on holiday and they've brought in a sort of a swing jock, as they call it. They brought in somebody else to sort of just as a stand in. Um, uh, playing that role today is Chief Executive of Youthscape, Chris Curtis. Hello. And uh, and I, I see, don't see this as an audition, uh, see this as, as
1: coming into the family on a very occasional well, can basis. I, can I say thank you for that exceptionally warm mm. uh, welcome? Where I, I, I hope you, you... feel welcome. You uh, you really sort of describe me as a bit part player in this. Well, uh, well, Rachel, by the way, saw it differently. I think she sees this as potentially when she comes back next week, it's a choice for her now okay. uh, as a male co-host. Yeah, I think she's trying to figure out where that's going to go. So I I'm mean, just I'm just putting that out there.
0: In a sense, all of this is arbitrary because uh, we all know that most people listen to the Uskette podcast because they're Rachel Gardner's fans. Okay. And so already <laughs> okay. they've, they've switched off and decided Brilliant. they'll just come back next week. Okay, uh, But for the four of you, including my mother, who is uh, still listening, uh, a very warm welcome to this uh, different edition of the Youthscape podcast. Uh, and uh, we have a very special guest who we're going to bring in, in a moment, Susie Maple-Dorham, who's the Diocesan Youth Officer for the Diocese of Manchester. But first, I thought, as it says on this piece of paper in front of me, that, that isn't real... Um, you and I are going to have some uh, witty banter. Oh gosh! First of all, how's that going to work? About out? I don't know, youth ministry or youth ministry. things we're excited about. Okay. Or because it's not that long ago, and it is the one era in which we have some common ground: film uh, oh, yes. and, and the Oscars, Good. the Oscar season. Yes, has come just, on, let's do it. Just I'm excited now, and you've seen. Oh, you've woken up. I have, and you've seen some, not all, but but we've seen most of the sort of. I've Oscar. seen a, a reasonable. Uh, Number of and books. so let's go straight to the, the top. The best picture winner yeah. was The Shape of Water. Yes. And uh, and it beat out three billboards. So we've both seen both of those movies, we right? We have, yeah. Uh, so
1: what was your take on that, on that win for The Shape of Water? Well, um, I think I'm going to feel a little more positive about The Shape of Water than you are. So um, I thought I thought both of them were stunning films. And they're completely different. I'm not sure how you compare them. Um, the, the Shape of Water, uh, I thought, was um, if if you if you are if you if you can cope with this sort of fantasy edge, and I think that's what um, that's what those kind of films bring. You have to you have to buy at the beginning of that film that there is a fishman yeah. in the world. Um, so if you can't get past that then you're gonna find this film very hard to, to work with. But I thought, it was, I thought it was really touching, actually, and I think, uh, and I don't wanna give away any of the plot, obviously, but I think uh, it's, you, you do not know where that story is gonna go, no. and even if you think you know, it absolutely is not gonna go where you think. So no. if you haven't seen it now, uh, go and see it, but you will, even halfway through, if you were to say, tell me how this is gonna end, you will not figure out how it's gonna end. That's my view.
0: Now, it's, I thought it was an odd film. I thought it was like a children's film, uh, like Free Willy, for instance. I actually quite like Free Willy in a lot of ways. Uh, like a children's film, uh, but then with lots of uh, rude Sally Hawkins in it. Um, which kind of changed it, so it was a, like a kid's film with some swearing and some nudity and, and stuff. It was, But the yeah. actual the structure of it and the way it worked was quite simple. Um, the problem I had, it, as you know, I, I'm not happy unless Jesus is hiding in the corner of any work of culture or art, um, and I couldn't find Jesus in, in The Shape of Water, it was more difficult for me. What I found uh, hard about it, and this does slightly hint at, at where it goes, was that this, this uh, uh, young lady played by Sally Hawkins yes. is sort of isolated in the world, she's, uh, she's mute. Yeah. Uh, she um, uh, she's sort of slightly ostracised from everyone apart from the, the two characters that she's you know fr- who understand her friends with her and, and then really the only option for her is escapism and escape rather than redemption
1: there's no redemption for well hang on no you're you're reading this wrong let me just tell you that right now oh. so uh, where you started is right here's here's a uh Uh, A woman who by all intents and purposes as society at its worst judges her is of no consequence Uh, she is a cleaner not only that she's cleaning at night people people don't even see her cleaning she's got a low-paid job Um, she's on the fringe of society Um, and she is somebody who Uh, you would uh, at our worst you'd walk by in the street and not notice and yet here is a woman who displays in this story without giving away the plot line the most remarkable courage so within her are hidden these extraordinary resources of Mm. character and courage which outwit the entire American military and so I think you see. Here's a little bit of Jesus. Did for you find you. Jesus in it? I think I found a little you bit of Jesus. You might make me like it more. So h- here is here is somebody who, again, you know, in its broadest sense, society uh, would find it easy to undervalue or devalue or ignore or forget, but who actually is this glorious, rich, deep, challenging, courageous woman, and this moment, this encounter. Is what shows her. She needs to see that herself. She's not. That she sees that. She discovers that. The world discovers that. And uh, as the as the film's arc continues, we we see all that she is made to be kind of emerge. And I think that's okay. a story of redemption. Well,
0: let me tell you why you're wrong. Uh, because uh, I, I think what's 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 the prop the problem that's missing with what you've just said. Very articulately, I might say, but the, what's missing is an actual re-engagement with the world. So she's she, she's she's rejected by the world, but she never gets to then be a part of the world, as, well, as they ironically sing in *The Little Mermaid*, which which is a, a a sort of sibling film.
1: Okay, so we're we've got to be careful here because we're going to. I really don't think we should give away the the plot um, for people who haven't seen it, but I. I think that's simply because um, not every film has to take you to the end of the story. I'm sorry if you feel in your neat world, Martin Saunders, (laughs) that um, you want everything signed, sealed and delivered as the credits roll. I think we drop into a story. We see a portion of a story. I don't think we see the whole story. Mm. And this woman, as we leave her, wherever that story is, that is not the end. And in fact, she's transformed and she'll never be... She'll never be what she was, she's only what she's becoming. I mean, that sounds like wow. a strange phrase. I, I, I but, think you're but, but saying I, it confidently. But I, I think, I think therefore, um, we, we're allowed, what what we're allowed to do is that, that the curtain is lifted on this part of her life and it is by no means the end. So, it, so she goes on, there's more. Yeah. But it's not part of the film. Can you handle that, or do you need everything to be well, to be tied up I, for you? Yeah,
0: I just a bit sure. like I'm a
1: children's not, film. I'm not sure I agree because I think it is
0: a children's film. But uh, but you know, I, I enjoyed the the, the conversation. Uh, and then three billboards quickly. You know, we should probably yeah. spend less time on that. Okay. But uh, that that was a film that we both quite liked. Some people are a bit yeah. sniffy about. I think from a Christian perspective, there were
1: some that said this is just too. The themes are too strong. It's too dark. I don't think that's an unreasonable view. I think um, it's really hard for um, uh, if if you have faith and uh, you're you know you have therefore a, a particular moral construct to your life. Um, how you figure out what you watch, um, whether for that matter it's a film or what you watch on the news or anything else, and what your what you um, what you participate in is as a viewer is is hard. Mm. There's no doubt um, three billboards is um, has you know has strong language, strong themes. Um, however, and I, I don't know whether I'm trying to I, I'm not really trying to make this an excuse, but I think um, the the story again, and the themes and the ideas that emerge out of it are so powerful, so intriguing, mm. so challenging, so thought-provoking, that um, it is—it it, it might be possible to to stomach the—you co- know—those other things mm. in order to go on the journey with this remarkable woman. Mm. Well, so we, we we both
0: sort of. Recommend both of them, maybe slightly cautiously recommend uh, Three Billboards. I think uh,
1: there's an interesting discussion to be had, and perhaps when Rachel and I are hosting a future edition of this podcast, we'll have that discussion about how you as a Christian make thoughtful moral decisions about what you watch. Mm. And I think that is a difficult... Thing to wrestle with, and uh, would be worthy of a discussion. I'll talk yeah. to Rachel about. Well, that enjoy discussing, in, you know, the uh, pros and cons of the holiday in, uh, in in a future podcast when she and I are posting it together. Fine, and uh, and there
0: you see our, our film tastes diversify. So we do. We tend to all like the Oscar we do. movies. I would have given Best Picture to uh, Phantom Thread, actually. Which uh, which you haven't seen. I haven't seen yet, uh, and uh, and or maybe Dunkirk, which was released at the wrong time of year. Okay, uh, but uh, but then you see we've got the common ground, but then we diversify because you go off into sort of you like dark, foreign language, you preferably black and
1: white, rich, complex films, Art with house. interesting themes, and and proper characterisation, uh, where you want. Bangs, explosions, Marvel Look, characters. I'm just, I'm just saying something flying through the sky. I'm just saying a we, big battle we've ones. both
0: seen Black Panther.
1: Oh, please! No, and really, I, I go go loved
0: Black Panther. I took my tw- you took your boy to it. I, I did. took my twelve year old to see I it. Did. We had a great night out. Producer okay. Rachel's a big fan of the Marvel films. Um,
1: you should get her to talk about it sometime. She, she we have interview producer. Can I just Rachel, say, uh, she doesn't from the from the look through the through the booth out into the uh, editing area. Um, <laughs> she she doesn't look like she's enamoured. No, she doesn't like them.
0: But uh, uh, but I do. I really like the Marvel films. I'm ridiculously excited about the next one.
1: Well, you you've. You've already said you're a fan of children's films, so that makes perfect sense. But you
0: didn't see that. So I thought there was a very important film. You've got to
1: say so. Absolutely. So um, hear me loud and clear. Um, uh, As a as a white middle class middle aged guy, I I can acknowledge wholeheartedly that this a film which um, puts black characters to the fore and women. Yeah. To the four, yeah. we need a thousand more of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I would be cheering from the sideline as long as I don't have to see them if they're as bad as Black Panther. So, I'm, <gasps> I'm delighted Black, Black Panther exists. I understand that people out there will be throwing items at their radiograms, but do you not, and whatever listening devices they have? Do you not think, and th- you know, I, I went to sleep in this film, I drifted off. Let me ask you a question is,
0: is the problem with you disliking black panther that you yourself felt too disconnected from the culture that you see in black panther
1: well so I because mean, it's really it's, an, it's not just a black film it's an yeah. african film well and how does that make sense because you're you're well, cut stem this got you, you back in touch with your african roots as you know uh, no i'm not going to go anywhere there but but no i just i'm interested well, I mean, no,
0: maybe no, maybe you found that a stumbling block
1: i i i just think um, in, to be serious, it comes back to what you said, which is I I prefer films that are are really led by drama rather than by action. Right. And uh, so I want the drama and the story to do the, the hard work. Um, and I think Marvel uh, gives you action. Um, so I was in a situation where I did commit some sins in the cinema so first of all I flicked my phone had my phone down on very low light <gasps> yeah. but I flicked it about 20 minutes in I looked and I thought how long is this film going to be so I looked up the running time and I sort of you know a little sadness wow. crept across my heart you didn't go and then rain, what you? I did was I, I then and you might have done this around other films I then calculated that the end time I, thought, I looked at my watch thought oh gosh yeah. 20 yeah. past 8 oh gosh I, we're here until quarter past 10 or whatever it was and thereafter, just flicking down to look at the time, the the minutes achingly slowly crept by. Wow. I drifted in and out of sleep. I I admit I lost track of the plot at various points. Um, and uh, towards the end, I was just willing the time, knowing the runtime. I was even thinking, well, look, it's got to be maybe the credits run for seven or eight minutes. Maybe maybe it's only five minutes to go before it finishes. Um, my son
0: absolutely loved it. Ironically, there, of course, you're describing the experience that many people are having right now with the podcast. And the Indeed. good news is, yes, that we've uh, we've finished a segment of the show, never to be repeated, that I like to call "Films with Chris and Martin." Uh, but now we're gonna we're gonna uh, get our guest on, and uh, so we're gonna right. we're gonna go out of the fictional booth you described, yep. and fetch Susie Maple Dore.
2: The YouthScape Podcast.
0: Well, I'm excited to say that uh, we've been joined by our guest, Susie Mabledorum.
2: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: And uh, Chris is still here. Uh, Yes,
1: and uh, I am delighted to be so. Yeah, but you (laughs) are, just so you know, you're not a guest. I'm not a guest. Just that we're Uh, clear. uh, As I've already explained, uh, Rachel and I are just really trying me out in case the current male presenter, I don't know, (laughs) um, has other things they need to do. Wow. That's the way we're seeing it. Yeah. His body language isn't isn't good. Yeah,
2: is it? it's it speaks a whole other story. <laughs> wow.
0: So, uh, <laughs> I see you've switched to relaxed <laughs> relaxed mode. So uh, so you're going to help me with some hard hitting yes, questions oh, for Susie. Great. Uh, but Susie, you um, are the Diocesan Youth Advisor. Or
2: advisor or of well, the technical phrase is officer, but we we advise officer kind of makes me feel like I should have a uniform and.
0: Do you have a uniform?
2: No, sadly not. Oh. I'd quite like. Well, no, no. wouldn't.
0: For for the diocese of Manchester, Manchester, yes, uh, which is the UK's
2: greatest diocese ever. Yeah, I, was, I just wondered what the current
0: what the current. So is it second city? Would you call yourselves Britain, uh, second think,
2: city? I I'd like to call us the first, but I think technically we're the third. Wow. Yeah, I think wow. it's London, then Birmingham, then Manchester. You feel?
0: I feel like you've just ceded defeat. easily <laughs> yeah. to, Well, I, and I just want
2: to preempt any kind of you know comeback that says I think you're seven. <laughs> <laughs>
0: After Truro. Yeah,
2: probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Truro and is lovely.
2: Clacton-on-Sea. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, hello if you're listening in Truro or Clacton. Yeah. So uh, Susie, tell yeah. us a little bit about your job in, <laughs> uh, in Manchester. What's the what's the scope of what you do? Uh,
2: so we have um, a, over 340 churches in our diocese, we're not geographically big but we are dense in mm. terms of numbers mm. of churches, not in terms of that we're dense. Um, and uh, my job is basically supporting churches. Uh, predominantly in their engagement with young people and that can be anything from going out and doing some training, uh, going out to talk to youth leaders, to vicars about appointing youth workers, Um, it can be doing kind of bespoke stuff that relates specifically to a parish context, Um, might have issues with kind of what's going on in my graveyard after seven o'clock at night and looking at positive ways to engage with young people in the graveyard without defaulting to 999 straight away. and it's broad, and it's interesting, and always an opportunity to go out and to get excited about in working with young people. A lot of churches might feel like that's an area where they're not uh, doing as well as they could do, but if there's young people you know, in the community engaging in activities in the church, and that's a good thing, mm-hmm. and churches are looking to kind of renew their work and re-establish stuff, and, I just want to help them to you know, get it done mm. and done in a way that excites them so they get excited about their ministry with young people rather than just not doing stuff to young people but doing stuff with young people and I think that's a mass- that's a big difference in our work with young people definitely.
1: Yeah. And I, I was uh, just thinking Susie when I've um, spoken to you um, over the years a lot of your work uh, or as I understand it some of your work at least is supporting paid youth workers yep. in some of those churches, yes. uh, churches that are able to, yeah. to do that, of course that's not every church. Yeah. Um, what when, when you go and work with those paid workers, uh, some of whom may, may, may be listening now, um, yeah. paid workers all over the UK, um, what what are the things that you see really working for those paid workers and what are the things that trip them up, what, what are the points where churches kind of get it wrong with paid workers?
2: uh well from the very beginning when a church says we'd like to appoint a youth worker i go out and meet with them and i and i make a caveat at the beginning of the meeting we don't talk about money because i think often people think well we can't really afford this and money tends to limit their vision and their energy for working Mm. with young people so always the first meeting we don't discuss money we discuss the ideas and the energy that they have for a youth worker and where they see that person connecting with young people whether that's in the church in the wider community through schools work through some detached or outreach work and and then after they've kind of drawn out sometimes literally or metaphorically their big plan yeah. of what they want then we look at the money i'd, I'd rather that not be a, you know a kind of a hindrance at the beginning yeah. where they say oh we really 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 want this but we realize it's going to cost us this and they feel downhearted even when they get to you know the, the starting line of this adventure and I'm not suggesting that money grows on trees. If it would, then I'd have a forest. But I, I you know, and I'd loved us to be able to find more money to appoint, you know, youth workers in our churches. But that's becoming more and more uh, unlikely. However, but um, can I just yeah.
1: say, throw it out there, I presume if you have got the clear vision you're talking about, yeah. then you're more likely... to to raise money because I think talking to some trust funds, um, they'll often say we're inundated with applications, but often they're a bit muddled and the the thing isn't thought through. If you've done that work and if you've got an ambitious vision, you're much more attractive to gain funding. If
2: you can clearly articulate what your passion and your vision is for your young people, and you involve your young people in that articulation, mm. then I think you're dead right. We've got um, Christian youth work projects in our diocese that attract money from children in need, uh, comic relief, you know. So I, I think I think that is a really good thing. But not many people who are, are used to writing funding mm, bids yes. of that kind of enormity. So we try and help out there as well.
1: So what? What? Mm. When? When? What are some of the? The challenges you think paid youth workers when you go out and you you're troubleshooting or you think what what trips what trips the whole thing up?
2: Um, I think that there's something to be said about kind of the initial first few months in post. I think when you're there is a bit of like a honeymoon period, and you know you get to know people and people are super friendly, invite you around for lunch, and you know uh, and and then suddenly that that goes that that starts to vanish and youth work even though we work with young people and youth leaders and other folks stakeholders all the time can be profoundly lonely mm. and creating opportunities which we're about to redo again in manchester we had a kind of a time when we had very few uh, full-time youth workers and we spent a lot of time doing one-to-one kind of support but gathering them together as a group of like people of kindred spirits has been really helpful but I think um loneliness can be frustrating when you when you believe in your you know in the experience and the training that you've had as a youth worker and suddenly someone's saying well that's not how you do it uh, who doesn't have that experience and training can be demoralizing um and also um the expectations I think sometimes uh uh expectations we put on ourselves of what we need to achieve do I need to fill this church with 100 young people in my first two Mm, years mm. being in post um and is that the expectation of the church Mm. and people come up to you after the service and say well you've been here six months and we haven't seen any new young people and you just want to go "Ah!" (laughs) you know look at the bigger picture I mean I wish people would have seen your
1: face at that point too because that that noise and face (laughs) captures perfectly well I've been there and what people might actually do yeah when I was
2: a full-time church-based youth worker that that's the kind of perspective some people have because they think you know uh, large funding campaign plus youth worker equals young people there on a Sunday morning but our youth ministry is so much more than that and I don't mean more than worshipping God on a Sunday morning but but doing that in all kinds of other ways that connects and engages with young people and making that shift can often be a really lonely place for youth workers as well because you're 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 battling against the this is how we've always done it to looking at a, a culture of young people that you know that sometimes look at churches as the place where they went to a funeral and might not even want to step across it This is these are the conversations we have with people who have young people in their graveyards mm. think about why they're there yeah. are they there to throw their drugs paraphernalia around your graveyard nine times out of ten no they're there because they have a connection with the building either because somebody has Got married there. That they've been to a wedding, but but more likely. So there's likely, an echo. There's a connection, I think so, right? Yeah, I think there it. is definitely the young people I've chatted to in graveyards. Not that I do that very often. I sound a bit of a weirdo going out at night meeting. It feels young. like a
1: recurring
0: thing. Yeah, it
2: does, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's a big issue for us in our diocese. We wow. we, you know, we we um we do see that happening a lot. So how do we you know deal with that? Well, I, I think to
0: we? to break up the flow of the, of mm-hmm. the podcast a little bit, uh, I, I think we should all immediately now come up with our best engagement strategy for young people. In graveyards. <laughs> so I've got two for
1: you. Okay. Are we calling this segment the graveyard shift? Oh
0: my goodness! Wow, that's impressive. That's innovation right
1: there. I mean, <laughs> I just Look wanted. That. That. I was desperate to say that. Oh, exactly. I've been holding back. Um, so, uh,
0: so I've got two for you. Uh, I think dodgeball would be really fun in a grave in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Because you could you you know got all the objects there to, to get yeah. out of the way of the well, yes. So That could be quite fun. Uh, also, a uh, bit of pop culture. You know, cutting edge, reengage—you know—engaging kids with where culture is right now. What about getting them to reenact the video for Thriller?
2: That's love. I love that idea.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm up I mean, for that's in the charts, that's, isn't it? That's sacrilegious, isn't it? So I, I was thinking more <laughs> brass rubbings. Uh, nice. So I actually let me just take you back to my childhood. I, <coughs> I uh, and I realise gravestones are not made of brass, um, but um, I would uh, in Essex where I grew up. I had some tracing paper, and I would go to gravestones. I'm not great. making this and, up. And rub oh, them. I love that. Yeah, and I would, I would, I would take a, a rubbing of a, of a gravestone. Did and you? I think that's a, a jolly fun activity. It's, it's you, made me the person you see before you today. When you used to go out on the weekend and rub gravestones,
0: you were what you might call a grave rubber. You, um, when you did that, did you hope? Oh, you're some, proud of that, aren't you? Very proud. I think that's better than graveyard shift. So it is. Much. I'll concede. Um, I, <laughs> when you used to do that. Uh, at the weekends did you hope in some way in a sort of Aladdin style slash zombie horror uh,
1: scenario that something would pop out of the grave <laughs> well I, I mean the, the short answer that is no the, oh. the sheer <laughs> the sheer thrill of collecting different grave rubbings was, uh, was in and of itself a pastime but this was in the 1970s and 80s where you were allowed to just willy nilly rub a grave <laughs> yes without fear of any
0: <laughs> recrimination to you or your family. I'm not sure that's if this funny. segment will ever go out. But I very much enjoyed it. It's been my highlight.
2: Oh. We used to take young people out into our graveyard. Okay. And, uh, and, in, and one in a church that will remain nameless somewhere in this country, um, somebody came to pay respects to somebody who had died and been buried in the graveyard. And it transpired we tarmacked over them.
0: <gasps> oh, gosh. Yeah. That's, wow.
2: And they said, they could have said all kinds of things, but thankfully they said, oh he'd have found that hilarious oh gosh Phew, as we wiped our brows
0: oh. mm. so have you got a more i mean we've come up with some rather frivolous uh, ideas what is the best way uh, to well the advice
2: answers? i give to people um that i suggest is be just be just go out and talk to them and if you're out in your graveyard and if you're a member of clergy and you've got your dog collar on that can either be quite nerve-wracking for young people or you know oh yeah that's the vicar who comes and does assembly at my school yeah You've got a way in, I think, already. Take a flask of tea and a packet of hobnobs out and have a conversation rather than immediately, you know, think, what are they going to do? Well,
1: that's, you know, I'm so glad... Sorry, you that's managed. so simple. No, you, you, you know what? You've rescued what <laughs> this segment from the jaws like of, the um, of the great sacrilegious uh, reflection, which which Martin and I brought. But but it you you engage, you talk. Totally. Uh, you, you connect. And, yeah. and a lot of churches... Will find so quickly, and not youth workers, but a lot of churches yeah. will find that these terrifying yeah. young people are not terrifying no, at, not all at all. They're they're human beings, and and they're interested yeah. actually in what's going on.
2: I, I will bang the drum for relationship till the day I die because I think you know we try and we try and produce all kinds of you know amazing opportunity, you know gimmicks, and and they're all great. And I'm not knocking that, but taking young people away for the weekend and get to know them, build a relationship is so important, especially in today's world where it's so fragile and so uncertain. I think um, I think building and cultivating really authentically good relationships with young people can't be I And we, we say that all the time mm. in the youth world, mm. don't we? But but that's what it's about. And for mm. us, we take great joy in doing that. And uh, and it's a huge privilege, and we have to be careful how we do that, kind mm. of, and to everything. But for other people, that's quite scary, because mm. they, they think young people are going to tell them where to get off, and mm. you've got to break down those barriers and create opportunity for there to be more intergenerational stuff.
1: So you get out there, Yeah. you have a talk, you yeah. communicate, yeah. and before you know it, yeah. you're taking away yeah, and you're at the National Grave Robbing's Championship yeah. in Great Yarmouth. You're grave robbing, grave,
0: Rubbing. Rubbing. grave Rubbing. robbing. Yeah. Well, that's well,
1: a different both, championship. Yeah. Um, and before you know it, you've got a team. It's yeah. like Pitch Perfect. You're basically yeah, you've exactly. got a team. Yeah. You're at the Grave Robbing's Championship in Great Yarmouth, yeah. and you're going to win that championship.
2: Yeah. I, I totally think that's right. Because so, yeah. <laughs> so
1: just just to just to um,
0: try and drag this back on track, <laughs> uh, Manchester. Yes. Uh, give us a bit of a, a picture of youth work and youth ministry in Manchester. So you've been there a long time. So you've, yeah, you've just been, stepping a, on you're a long-termer, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we might, if we have time, dig in a little bit to your, um, you know, dim, distant past. Oh no. Uh, but you, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember when you first went to Manchester, you, you said to me, that uh, that actually government funding for youth work yeah. in the town had been yeah, completely yes. taken away, and they just put a little funding.
2: No, you're right, and um, you're completely right. Well remembered, Martin. Um, so when I I've been in Manchester just over nine years now, and um, the the statutory provision of youth work in that part of the world is really bleak. Uh, we as the Diocese of Manchester cover eleven local authorities, and there's not there isn't youth work in probably about nine of them, and of the two remaining nine minus two, yeah, eleven. Yeah. Uh, it is that it's um, hanging by a shoestring. And when uh, the local authority in Manchester pulled the plug on statutory youth work provision, I lost a lot of colleagues. Mm-hmm. i tell you one particular story that I find that, that, that is behind Manchester Cathedral is an the Urbis building. If you ever go to Manchester, it's where the football museum is. And yeah. uh, in front of it, it's got a real complex kind of great skating area. It's not designed for skaters, but it should have been because it's brilliant. And lots of young people uh, come into the city from uh, towns on the outskirts like Rochdale, Bolton, Stockport, Oldham and hang out in the city centre. And that used to be a key area where the statutory provision, Salford Youth Services and Manchester Youth Services used to do a lot of detached youth work. Not outreach, but detached. And it was a really important place because a lot of young people are groomed in that area by people who will, you know, dress up as goths or emos in order to kind of, you know, be... Um, uh, integrated into their peer groups and when that went um, we became really aware of the vulnerability of those young people in the city centre and you hear other stories young people whose youth centres were just shut and these are generic drop-in youth groups where young people are like well why why do I not matter anymore Mm. I find that language really difficult to hear Mm. from young people and so we now are in a situation where there is a commissioning fund, but it's not enough to run a project. It's not enough, to, you know, the amounts that they give isn't enough to fund a, a youth worker for a three-year contract, which is really what you're looking for. Mm. But, it, you know, people can dip into it and the, and there is money around. So we have to be creative, not illegal, but creative in yeah. how we look for ways to support our youth work. And, you know, the voluntary sector are, are going great guns and our churches are stepping up where they can. But And this is where we want to, you know, help our churches to look... Beyond the young people within their congregations to their wider kind of context and see how we might be able to to serve them in a way that gives them a place where they can come and be and feel welcome and not you know have to you know be anything and, and I think particularly uh, at this time because after the after the um, money was withdrawn within two years we had the the riots which mm. were possibly two well at that point were two of the most terrifying weeks for us. As people who work in the city centre and That's we 2011 yeah and we were sent emails by by manchester city council to say please will you open your youth work provisions to which we all replied well they're closed now and so we found ourselves uh, in looking for space for young people to go and be so that they were removed from danger mm. and now we still sit very much in the uh, you know of the of what happened last May in our city and mm. the implication that that's had on young people, and where do they have space to talk about that,
1: mm. and where
2: do they have space to process what happened at the end of May with the bombing at the arena.
1: Yeah, T- tell us a bit more about that and about how how your perception is that has uh, impacted young people in the in the city.
2: Um, I still find it really difficult to talk about, but it's really important. Um. So um, I remember that evening really clearly um, uh, because when there's someone big in town there's always lots of activity down Dean'sgate and that's where our office is and that night you knew that someone really cool was in town I normally mm. check on my on my just see where the best car park is to park frankly because Lady Gaga always pinches the best spots when she's in <laughs> town and um, Ariana Grande was on and Te- Dean'sgate was full of young Teenagers and it was wonderful, and it, you just walk out and it was just great, and you could see that you know a lot of them there without the parents, you know, independent, going to a gig, really excited, looking, you know, they'd really, you know, got themselves dressed up, which was fabulous, and you feel a sense of like, you know, have a great evening, you know. Obviously, I don't got to all the girls, all the young people. Say, Hello, you don't know who I am. But have a great night, because that'd be a bit weird, and. Um, And then I was out doing some training that evening and I came home and beginning news began to filter into my social media and um, first of all there was talk that it was a balloon had popped or it was a microphone that had been dropped Uh, and then the news uh, started to come through that there had been an explosion. And um, several of my youth worker colleagues, this was beyond midnight by this point, and um, a youth worker colleague of mine from Bolton was online and we were talking about, what do we do? Because we knew at that point that there were over 100 um, unaccompanied children in the Holiday Inn next door. And our immediate reaction was, can we do something to help? Can we go and, you know, be supportive there? And um, because they hadn't been reconnected with their parents, and some of them were never going to be reconnected with their parents because their parents were in the foyer where the bomb went off to go and collect them. So uh, the next day, when I got into the office after a few hours of getting in, We began. It all. It began to unravel, and uh, and you know we discovered. You know, as the days went on, the enormity of what had happened, and we knew it was enormous. The day that we that we drove in, and they cordoned off the whole of the the city centre around the cathedral and around the MEN, and it was there for at least four or five days. How the world's media got there in the speed that they did, I have no idea. Um, but I, I'll be really honest, I, I, they were they were inappropriate and invasive, mm. and I got angry with a couple of them. Not violent, but mm. cross. Mm. Um, and so I got into the office and just wanted to touch base with my with some of the youth workers from the churches and also our chaplains in our high schools to see whether. But at that still at that stage, we weren't aware of of, of the injuries and the fatalities that had impacted young people. And these weren't just young people from Manchester. These are young people from all over the country young people from leeds young people from scotland young people from all over the country who've been impacted by it and our, people may, in manchester may disagree with me but i think our city has never been the same since purely in the because we're much more aware of what's going on around us i think um and we are uh, when we he- used to hear kind of police sirens going down dean's gate we wouldn't really take much notice unless we heard like three or four but now i'm conscious of everyone mm. and we were walking down dean's the other week and someone was throwing like firecrackers on the floor mm. and everyone stopped because because we've been more impacted by this and i think we really even uh, mm. realize mm. but um there is something quite remarkable about the people of manchester and although i wasn't born in manchester i've been there a long time and and i, I feel you know a, a, a strong sense of community with, with people there, and and the flowers started appearing in Saint Anne's Square. People started, you know, there was a real sense of community across the faiths, particularly um, at some of the gatherings in the big squares in Manchester, and and you saw a resilience and a strength and a and a united front that was almost palpable. You could mm. you could touch it, and. I remember the morning it happened uh, you know our grief and our horror was massive but not half as massive as our kind of resilience and strength and we've seen that you know un- evolve over these months and i think for young people particularly and i know some young people especially you are, are, are across a whole spectrum really at one end of the spectrum they're they're really resilient and they're defiant and they're like, we're going to carry on and we're going to live. And some of the young people who were injured in that bombing are, are, have got a powerful, strong sense of resilience to those young people who are still processing it, but doing life, but still have questions. And a lot of those young people who are in our youth groups who are still you know, in the place, why did that happen? I don't think I want to go to concerts anymore. Hmm. And I think it's really important that we have conversations with them, Mm. not to move them on, Mm. but to tell them that it's still okay to talk about it. And then you have young people, I know of one young person who was at the concert but wasn't injured, and still has not been able to leave her home. Mm. So it's it's enormous, and it affects people in all kinds of different ways. And it wasn't until about three weeks ago when I talked about this at another event in North Wales, then I realised that I still hadn't quite processed it myself. Mm. Um, But we opened, all the churches opened their doors, people came in to sit, to pray, to cry, to do, and it was a privilege to be able to unlock our church and let people in and, Mm. you know, just to give people space to just stop because you couldn't even begin to have the conversation about how to make sense of it because... And then, you know, the Ariana Grande concert, concert happened and that, and for a lot of young people that was really positive, but for some people that was a bit too soon, you know, And mm. but as long as people are talking about that, whether mm. they agree or mm. disagree, it's creating space for us to continue that conversation and not just say, well, it's nearly a year ago now, you know, we should have moved on. Mm. Well, when you're impacted by something as profound as that, mm. we need to stay in the place where, you know, our young people are. To, and move at the time when they're ready to move, rather than say, "Come on, you should be here by now." Rather, mm, you know, but yeah. just sit tight with them and 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 let them ask the questions that they need to know. And if we don't know the answers, we're not going to Google them or make them up. Mm. But just say, "Do you know what? I think that too." But we're just going to take a deep breath and we're going to step into another day, knowing that in the midst of this, God is still sovereign, and in the midst of this, um, you know, we have hope and mm. we have uh, each other. And that might sound like really kind of cheesy but it's truth.
0: Susie thank you so much for sharing um, that story and um, it's clearly come at some um, cost to you to to do that, so we really appreciate um, you coming here today uh, and and giving so much to this podcast. Um, and thank you for being a long. I, this is what <laughs> Rachel, Rachel Gardner would have done if she'd been here. She would say thank you for your long term investment in young people and youth ministry. <laughs> so you. I'm I'm channeling thank, Rachel. Thank you. As Rachel. I do this, she's not died just so, we, <laughs> so we're all clear. Um, so uh, uh, that's it for another edition of the Youthscape podcast. There will be hosts. Next time, one of them will yeah. be Rachel Gardner. <laughs> um, yes. If you'd like have to get we not t- set up a voting thing for that? No. Please do get in touch with us on uh, podcast at youthscape.co.uk or uh, uh, via Twitter or Facebook uh, through the usual channels. Um, uh, Susie, it's been an absolute honour to have you uh, here with us today. Join us again for another edition of the Youthscape podcast. You just sit there and eat your muffin. Yeah, I'm ready just now. Just wait for me. God, never eats a muffin.